process trying to become a church that has its own leadership and its own internal funding. And uh, this week, we've, we've looked at what, uh, what elders and deacons do. Now we're going to look at who they are, um, who God says they should be, the type of men, uh, the character of elders and deacons. And so we're going to look, you see in your bulletin, there's two passages printed. Uh, the first is 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then the second is Titus. We're really just going to be looking at 1 Timothy 3, but I wanted to put both of those in front of you. Uh, so you have them. Uh, because if you're going to nominate someone to be an elder or deacon, you, you need to be very familiar with these passages. Uh, because we want to nominate men that God uh, wants to lead us. So uh, I'll stop there and let's read. This is God's word. I'll, I'll read both these passages. Uh, and then we'll pray. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And then uh, from Titus, Chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And this is, again, uh, Paul writing to one of his mentees, Titus. Uh, the first one was to Timothy. Now to, he's writing to Titus, another church planter. He says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you that you care about who oversees us. We pray now as we look at these passages, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes? Convict us where we need to be convicted. Encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Uh, comfort us, Lord, where we need to be comforted. And teach us about the type of men that you would have oversee us. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this past week, uh, two pivotal, two very important pastors in our denomination, the PCA, uh, died. Uh, one
was a founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. He's a, a prominent author, and uh, he was one of the uh, really foundational guys in our denomination. He was a big deal. Uh, a lot of men looked up to him. And then second, another, another pastor, a Harry Reader. And he likewise was probably not as well known, but hugely influential within our denomination. Um, even in my life, actually, he baptized me uh, when I was uh, a baby. Uh, he, he was pastor of the largest church in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, the largest church in our denomination, uh, and really just a great leader, a leader of leaders. Uh, these are two men that this past week both passed away, one in a car accident, one from a long battle with cancer. Um, and the way that this landed within our denomination amongst pastors is we all, I was talking to Nathan and others about this, you know, these are guys who we looked up to for leadership. They led the pastors. We looked to them. What, what, how do we navigate these times? What, how do we think about uh, our culture and, and how to engage our culture and how to evangelize them? And so their loss, their death, left me and many other pastors uh, asking, who's going to fill these shoes? Who is going to fill these guys' shoes? Who, who will we follow now? We're looking around, the pastors and elders within the PC are looking around at each other like, who's going to step in to the gap? Who's going to fill these big shoes? And we're just feeling our need, our need for a leader, our need for oversight and for shepherding. As we look at our passage today, we're going to see that God really cares about who leads his sheep. He really, really cares about who his people follow. We all need someone to help us, to, to um, shepherd us, protect us, feed us, lead us. And as we look at our passage, we want to see exactly what type of men God would have us follow. And you'll see the two points there printed in your bulletin. It's kind of um, a trick. It's really not two points. It's really like eight. But um, there you go. I, I, was, I wanted to be clever and, and divide it up in some clever way, but I just I gave up, and I want to just go through, just go through word by word, verse by verse, and um, look at how God would have us be ruled. So first, um, point number one: God wants you to be shepherded well. Look at Titus um, one five. So we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth between Titus and Timothy, but we're mostly just going to be in Timothy. And Titus 1.5, uh, Paul says to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So one of the very first things that the apostles did, they went somewhere that preached the gospel. Some people would accept it, some people would reject it. For those who accepted it, immediately... First priority, priority number one, they need oversight. These new Christians need elders. They need oversight. And just, just a note, I'll you just use this word elder and shepherd and oversight, overseer. Those are interchangeable. And Paul will use them interchangeably as well. So I'll just, uh, just sort of three different ways of understanding the office of elder. So in this Titus passage, Paul is writing to Titus, who's planting churches, um, just like Nathan moved here, 
whatever, four years ago to plant a church here. Um, except Titus is in a, on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, Crete. And he says, look, your top mission, the reason why I left you there, is to put overseers in place. Now, Paul is an apostle. And he's arguably one of the greatest apostles. And, and he can write letters. So why not just why not just retain oversight over all these new Christians? Why not just like, write them letters uh, daily? You know, he can just sit down at his desk in the morning, write letters all day, send the letters. Uh, why, why not? Well, he knows that it's God's will for them to have local shepherds, shepherds who actually know them, who are on the ground in their lives. A lot has changed in the last 2,000 years, but one thing that has not changed is that God wants his people to be overseen and shepherded by local men. So he says, Paul says to Timothy, you need to appoint elders in every town. Everywhere where there's Christians gathering, you need they need to have oversight. One kind of obvious and simple application to this is, uh, in this day and age, a lot of us listen to online sermons. I do too. Nothing wrong with listening to online sermons, assuming that they're preaching uh, the truth. But no matter how good the preacher is that you listen to online, if you're not actively engaged and accountable to a local church, you're not going to be shepherded well. Because as great as Tim Keller and Harry Reader were, they, they don't they didn't know you. They don't know you. There's no celebrity pastor that can shepherd you well. And God does not want us, he does not want his people shepherded from a distance. Let's keep going. First uh, Timothy 3, verse 1. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. Now that's just his way of emphasizing this. This is really true. This is really important. This is really true. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You know, in our day we think, we love to hate on leaders, don't we? And we love to think, you know, I don't need a leader. I'd be fine on my own. Paul says, and God says, to desire the office of overseer is a good thing. And that's because it is good to be overseen, and it is good to want to oversee others. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus, uh, he looks at He's approaching Jerusalem, and he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. So here's Jesus, the good shepherd, and he's approaching Jerusalem, and he stops to lament. We don't know if he cries or not, but this is in the form of a lament. It's, it's him being sad about reality. And he's sad that he, he has longed to gather his children, his people, together. Like a, like a mother hen gathers her chicks. But they wouldn't. They resisted. They didn't want to be gathered. This, this 
metaphor that Jesus uses of a mother hen gathering chicks really hit me a couple months ago when we actually got little baby chicks. And I remember just, just we got them in the mail. They came in a box. They were tweeting um, nonstop. They were hungry and thirsty. And I just remember picking one up, and it's so light and, and fluffy. Uh, it's like, the best way of describing it is it's a yellow cotton ball with a beak. Um, and it just hit me how defenseless these little birds are. And, of course, we got them with, with no mother hen to protect them, so we became that, that mother hen figure. Um, they can't warm themselves. We have to get a heat lamp just to keep them warm. They don't. We, we, gave, we put food in their living area, but they're so ignorant to start with that they don't even know it's food. So you have to take them, you have to put their face in the food and say, eat, you know, here's the food, eat this. With water, they're just walking in circles. They don't know where the water is. You have to take their face, put it in the water. Here's where you drink. And they're so completely defenseless to predators. Uh, if you leave them outside, they'll be gone in, in moments. This is what Jesus sees when he looks on us. He sees us as little chicks who need a mother hen to spread spread her wings over us. We all need someone to lead us, to feed us and protect us as we grow up as Christians. And Jesus says, look, I long to gather you under my wings like a mother hen gathers her brood. And one day soon, Jesus will come physically and judge the earth, and he will gather his people. But for now, he wants each and every Christian to be shepherded by an actual fallen and yet qualified man. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, ask you, are you wandering aimlessly through life? Does it feel like you have no direction? Before you need the oversight of, of, a, of a man, you need, you need Jesus. Uh, please, turn to him. Make him the Lord of your life. He is the best shepherd, better than any, any other man. And ultimately, the only one who will who laid his life down for his sheep. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you know, some, some of us, some of you may have accepted Christ a long time ago. But you haven't seen much growth. You've been stagnant. You've been stuck. You, you, you look back fondly, yes, I was saved. I know that. I remember that experience. But, but you're kind of stuck as a, as a spiritual baby, as like one of these little chicks. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the main reasons, one of the big reasons, is because you have not been shepherded or, or you have not been shepherded well. You know, God, God gives us something like 14 qualifications in this passage. And he, he sets a very high bar for his elders. This teaches us that God really cares. He really 
who is leading his people. Because he cares about us. This whole list, as you read each one, you should think, man, God, God cares about me. He wants me to be shepherded by someone who fulfills each of these qualifications. And it is a high bar. It was his top priority in Paul's day for his people to be overseen by godly men. And it is still a top priority as, as he plants churches, as God plants churches. It is still his top priority for his people overseen. And this is, this is how he cares for us. This is one of the ways he cares for us. He has his word, he has his spirit, and he has overseers. And he use, uses them to shepherd his people. So let me just ask you, I want you to reflect on your own life. Who is speaking into your life? Who do you allow to speak into your life? Who are the voices that influence the way that you think, what you do for work, what you love, how you spend your money and your time? There is no shortage of unqualified people that, that are just vying for your attention. Every media outlet, outlet would like to shepherd you. They'll like, they will happily shepherd you. They, they don't actually know you or care about you, but they will shepherd you. There's sports stars that will bring you towards something. There's movie stars. There's musicians, YouTubers. Uh, we have this whole new thing, if you don't know about it, called uh, social media influencers. Right? They're influencing you. That's, that's shepherding. That's oversight. They're leading you to something. Are the people that you follow, that you let speak into your life, are they qualified? God would have them be qualified. And I'll just plead with you, do not allow yourself to be shepherded by people that do not meet these qualifications. Don't, don't give them, uh, don't let them tell you what to do. Don't let them oversee you. You do have a say in, in who is leading you and feeding you. God wants you to be shepherded by qualified men. This brings us to point two. So, so God insists that, that we as Christians have spiritual oversight. So let's look at what kind of man you should look for to oversee you. And I'll just give a disclaimer that um, you know, no man will do all these perfectly, and yet there is a bar. And so we should we should honestly seek to be overseen by a man who does these well and does these uh, trusting in the Lord to, to grow him. So here's where we get just a bunch of points. Um, and really what we're going to do is I'm just going to pretty much walk through the passage. I've grouped a couple of them together just for the sake of um, time and understanding. So first... You should be shepherded. You should be overseen by a man who cares for the sheep. Paul says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Notice that this, this overseer wants to care for God's sheep. He has a desire. He loves them. He cares about them. He wants to oversee them. So you, when you're looking for an overseer, should look for someone who cares about people. 
and if given the chance would care about you. Secondly, your, over, your overseer should have character, and this is another, another trick, it's really like a bunch, of, a bunch of these are character traits. This is really just verse 2 and 3. So if you look there at verse 2 and 3, um, these, are, these are a matter of character. And all, all of us should strive for these things, but especially our overseers ought to have them. First, a husband of one wife. Uh, so does this, does this mean single men are excluded from being elders? Uh, no, Paul was himself single. Uh, but it means that if you're married, then you must be devoted to your wife. Uh, just to give you an idea of the context, I want to just quote from an ancient uh, Greek guy that was writing around the same time. You know, we, we think of, oh, one wife, of course, like, what, are you going to have three wives? Uh, but yes, back then, yes, they would. Uh, so this is a guy named Demosthenes, and he says this about um, how they would, you know, how the Greeks would practice uh, marriage. He says this, mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our persons, but wives to bear us legitimate children. Uh, not so for Christians. Our overseers should be husbands of one wife. Secondly, they should be sober-minded. Um, this word, uh, actually in the King James, is, is translated vigilant. It's, uh, it, it's free from excess. It's, it's this idea that uh, this person does not see life as one big party or one big joke. They take, they take it seriously. Um, if you've ever walked down the street at night in, in a city, like sort of walked down a, a dark alley, and you know you, you, you flip that switch and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm on guard. If something, if I hear a noise, I'm ready. That's what this word means. Vigilant, ready for action. Your overseer must be sober-minded. Your overseer should be self-controlled. I'll just simply say, why would you want a man to shepherd you if he cannot shepherd himself? Self-controlled. Respectable. Uh, this word in the Greek has to do with um, sort of being well-ordered and even well-mannered. Knows his context, he understands uh, the context that he's in, and he um, he moves towards those people in a way that is not offensive to them. If that makes sense, so he's respectable, hospitable. Uh, this one's really important. Uh, the Greek word here is actually uh, philozenon, so it's the word for love, and then stranger. So when we think of hospitality, we, we often think of the southern hospitality or the hospitality industry. And that involves, you know, showing that you're a great host, kind of maybe putting on a show a little bit, um, showing that you have a beautiful home. That is not what Paul has in mind at all. What he has in mind is a love for strangers. Um, this is about welcoming people into your home uh, regardless of whether or not you're prepared um, really any, any time, day or night. Uh, not because you want to put on a show, but because you, you love people. And so you, you constantly welcome people into, their, into your home.
it might look like saying, you know, come on in. The house is messy. We don't have anything prepared, but whatever we have, we're happy to share with you. Look for an overseer who has an open home and an open heart uh, to, to both friends and strangers, to, to people who smell nice and people who don't smell nice. Your overseer should be hospitable. Your overseer should not be a drunkard. Um, this is not uh, rocket science, but uh, you know, in a day when wine was the primary way people would quench their thirst, you could imagine there might be a, there might be many men who are, are drunkards. Um, it doesn't mean that you, he can't drink alcohol. Uh, Paul actually tells Timothy later in this letter. He says, "Hey, stop drinking only water and drink a little bit of wine for your for your stomach." Because I know you have stomach. So it's not that he can't drink alcohol, but he can't be given to abuse or to overuse of alcohol. Your um, overseer should not be violent, but gentle. Think of a bully. You do not want a bully or someone who's belligerent or combative as an overseer. Now, this doesn't mean that they're passive or that they... They'll just lay down and let people run over them, but it means even when they're rebuking, they do it gently. Not quarrelsome. Your overseer should not be quarrelsome. Um, maybe you know someone who's just constantly looking to argue, argue about anything and everything. Uh, you know, some people aren't actually interested in answers; they just they just enjoy fighting. Your overseer should. Should not be this way. Your overseer should not be a lover of money. They may be rich, they may be poor. That doesn't matter so much. What matters is they should not be in love with money. They must not live for money. Now think back to the tenth commandment: "Thou shalt not covet." They should be content with what they have. Trust God with his money. Tithing to the Lord and giving generously to those who have need. So all of that fell under men who have character. So if you're following along now, the next one is they're able to teach and rebuke. And this comes from this passage and then also Titus. He says, in Titus 1.9, he says, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So this is one that uh, Nathan's going to preach next week on the role of deacon. This is one that's unique to elders. Unlike deacons, elders need to be theologically minded. They need to um, be able to teach sound doctrine and rebuke, to identify and rebuke poor or unbiblical doctrine. You know, just, just as an example, there are godly Christian men, men of great character, who are not able to teach. Uh, for whatever reason, they're, just, they don't, they're not wired that way. Next, they must nurture their household. Look at verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care 
for God's church. Uh, the, he uses the word manage, and it, it has sort of two big ideas behind it. One is supervise, to supervise the household, and the other is to nurture the household. And basically, you know, Nathan does an excellent job of emphasizing this week to week, so I don't feel like I need to emphasize it too much today, but you know, he, this is a man who, who knows his family, who, who feeds them and leads them and protects them. Uh, Jesus says elsewhere, he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And so the first and the truest test of any Christian leader is in his own home. This comes out uh, when we go through the ordination process. One of the first things they ask uh, would-be pastors is, what does your wife think about you? she just laugh at that and say, no, no, no. Um, or does she see in you a man who could shepherd both her and others? Let's keep going. Uh, your overseer ought to have Christian experience. We see this in verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, the, the word here for recent convert is it means new growth. So think of like a little baby plant. It's dangerous for a baby Christian to become an overseer, Paul tells us. Um, there's many reasons why, but it's especially dangerous because they're prone to get a big head and to be puffed up. So your overseer ought not to be a new Christian. And then they, they need to have a good reputation. We see this in verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So this, this man has a good reputation outside the church. And you can imagine um, if he's a boss, his employees respect him. If he has a boss, his boss is like, yeah, he's a good worker. And this doesn't mean, I mean, just as we, we've been through the book of Acts, we've seen so much persecution, but they're not being persecuted because they're dishonest or lazy, they're being persecuted for their faith. And so this man has a good reputation. He, he, he might be persecuted for his faith, but he won't be fired because he's, he's lazy or dishonest. Um, this is what it means to be above reproach. He has a good reputation. He's, he's unblackmailed. There's, there's no secret sin that if someone got a hold of it, they could, they could leverage it against him and blackmail him. There's not a secret sin in his life that, that if it was found out would bring shame upon the church. So, now that we've looked at all those, I want to conclude with, a, with an illustration, but first I just want to say, as, as we've looked at this and seen this high bar, you should see that God is very serious about who is leading his people. And, and you should be serious about it too. And again, I will ask you, who oversees you? Are you being overseen? Are you a sheep just wandering in the wilderness without any shepherd? A baby chick without a hen? We need shepherds. I want to close with um, a story of actually a, a good shepherd that has made an impact in my life. Ooh, I could use a lot of different, um, I have had 
many good shepherds, but I'll tell you actually about one. And his name was Dave. So many of you know that my wife, Anna Lee, her father passed away when she was uh, had just graduated high school. Her father passed away uh, the summer before she went to college. Uh, he had a fast-acting fast cancer, and it happened pretty quickly. And you can imagine that, um, so she arrived at college shortly after her father's death, and she wisely, because Anna Lee is very wise, got herself plugged in to a campus ministry called RUF. And there she got to know other Christians and was uh, shepherded by the RUF campus minister, Dave. His name was Dave. Um, as you can imagine, uh, her first year of college was filled with grief. She was, she was recovering from, she was mourning the loss of her father. And so she, she would have sleepless nights. Um, and she specifically was unable to get the, the images of her, her father's um, sickly body out of her head, and so she would be up at night, tossing and turning. And there, there came a week uh, during this first semester where she was specifically missing the, the warmth and the safety of her father's embrace. And, and kindly, one morning, God uh, gave her, she had, a, she had a dream, I should say, I don't know if God gave it to her, but she had a dream. And her, in the dream, her father was pulling into their driveway in his truck, and, and, he, and she ran out, and he opened his arms and, and wrapped her up. arms, and, and she felt his warm and fatherly embrace. And the dream, of course, was just a sweet, sweet gift that reminded her of, of her father, and as well, it reminded her of her father's absence. Uh, providentially, she was scheduled to meet with Dave, her campus minister, that day. And he knew that her father had died, and that process and, and help her heal and, and grieve. And so they met that day and, and she still had in the back of her mind that the, the embrace of her deceased father. And she told him about you know, how, how her father had been diagnosed and he had suffered and died and, and all the impact that it had on her family. And as they parted ways, um, Dave looked at Anna Lee and, and he didn't know about her dream or her desire for her father's embrace, but he said to her, Annalie, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you, and he wants to wrap you up in his arms and hold you like a child. And of course, his words made a profound impact on Annalie. With his words, Annalie understood that, that even in her grief, God loved her. He had not abandoned her, and he was pleased to use Dave to communicate that to her, one of his overseers. You see, Jesus, he longs to gather his people, as a mother hen gathers her chicks, as a father embraces his daughter. And, and soon, one day soon, he will return and he will gather his people. But for now, he wants godly men. Men who, who, like Dave, who meet these qualifications, he wants godly men to oversee his people. Men who can actually look you in the eyes and tell you the truth. Who can comfort you when you're sad. Who can rebuke you when you're sinning. Who can shepherd you day to day. Christian, God loves you and he wants you 
shepherded well. Let me pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Uh, Lord, I am sorry, we are sorry, that we insist on being lone rangers. We insist that we don't need shepherds. And we are worse for it, Lord. Would you, would you give us good shepherds so that we might grow, so that we might know you better? Lord, teach us to be shepherded well. And would you raise up men who meet these qualifications from within our church so that we might be shepherded well. I pray all this in Jesus' name.